this podcast series for the Angaza Awards, sponsored by Kenyan Wall Street. We're talking today with Dr. Ophelia Inez Weeks, the Executive Director and Board Secretary for the Ellen Johnson Sirleaf Presidential Center for Women and Development. Welcome, Dr. Weeks. Thank you. Thank you. It's such it's a pleasure a to have you. <laughs> and it's a pleasure for me to be here as well. Yes. And where are you joining us from, Dr. Weeks? I'm joining you from Liberia, uh, wow. more specifically, Cruzeville, Liberia. I'm Ooh. currently not at the uh, center, uh, yes. but uh, in Liberia. That's awesome. I've been to Monrovia. You have a beautiful country, beautiful Thank people you. and fantastic food. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Right, so we really thank the EJS Presidential Center for supporting the 2022 Angaza Awards Ceremony, which takes place on the 8th of June, and we're so looking forward to the event. Thank you for the support. Uh, it's our pleasure. Uh, the uh, Angaza Awards program is right in line with our mission and our vision, uh, and so it's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure for us to uh, be a part of it. That's fantastic, because we're going to get into that, because I think a number of our listeners might not be too familiar um, with the work of the Ellen Johnson Surley Presidential Center for Women in Development. So maybe let's start there. Could you maybe just share a little bit of information about the center and, and what you all do? Oh, it would be my pleasure to do so. Um, Madam Surleaf, as uh, maybe all of you or some of you may know, uh, was the first democratically elected female president on the continent of Africa. Um, and uh, after serving two terms as uh, president of the Republic of Liberia in 2018, she made a decision to spend the rest of her working days trying to encourage and promote women who had an interest in in leadership. And so the uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf Presidential Center for Women and Development was founded in 2018. Uh, the idea is uh, for the center to be a catalyst for political and social change across the continent. The, uh, the idea was conceived in 2018 and the uh, center was officially launched in actually on International Women's Day in March 8th, 2020. Um, we have three major strategic pillars. One deals with uh, leadership development. The other is to create a space for women. And the third is to play a major role in strategic communications and research. And so let me tell you a little bit about the, the leadership development component of the center. Um, our flagship program right now uh, is called Amuje. It's the Amuje leadership. Amuje is a word that means we're going up. It's a nice. word in a Liberian language crew. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to uh, identify women 
who are already on their way up to the highest level of leadership in their area of, um, of work or in their aspiration. And it's to encourage these women uh, because, because there are not so many women in the top positions in uh, public uh, leadership, there will be, and one can anticipate there will be a lot of obstacles, disappointments, and it'll be very likely that many along the way would decide, you know what, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. Um, and so this initiative is not only to provide the mentorship by women who've passed that way before, but also coaching. Um, and it's like providing the kind of support and encouragement, even being cheerleaders for these women, providing them with uh, training, workshop in communications, in media dealings, in a wide cross section of things that leaders will come across. Um, and so currently we have two cohorts of women that are in that program. Um, and the third cohort will come on board within the next month or so. Uh, each cohort has about 15 women uh, and we currently represent, they, they represent uh, 16 countries in all five regions of the continent. They are governors, parliamentarians, um, advocates, activists, um, advisors to uh, governmental officials, and they run the gamut. That is in a nutshell. There are many more facets associated with the uh, leadership development component. And we're going to expand this. Currently, we're looking at public service. Down the line, it may include specifically health or uh, uh, agribusiness or uh, a variety of, 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 uh, of programs. The other is, I mentioned, um, Oh, well, I should say within that program component, there's also advocacy. And we recently had an initiative that's called, that spotlighted uh, women who have done tremendous, made tremendous strides in the fight uh, against COVID-19. Um, and most recently, uh, one of the uh, initiatives is called Have, Have Her Back, and I'll talk a little bit about that later if the opportunity presents itself. Um, and so then the other major pillar is um, uh, strategic communications and uh, research. Right. Um, research is important because it provides data, and data is important because it provides us with truthful insight that's really important in decision-making and having a real good sense of what a situation is. And we believe that if we're going to champion women's leadership and if we're going to challenge obstacles to women's leadership, women and girls for that matter, we have to provide um, the public with the information 
that will expose these potential, these gaps that are there. Um, so research is important and we have to be able to strategically communicate the information that we have gathered. And so one of the other things that we've done is has to do with gender responsive like, media. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I was gonna ask about gender and the data aspects. So, because mm -hmm. I think um, this point about disaggregated data is an important one. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. so keen to hear your perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there is a large number of people who think that everything is just okay. But if you actually prove, look at, um, for instance, how media interact with women leaders or potential leaders. We are leading workshops that show that the media can be very biased in the way they handle female candidates versus male candidates. And the bias sometimes is exclusion. The bias is negative. The bias, I'll give you a, a case in point. How many times when talking to a, a female candidate would a interviewer or journalist uh, comment on a male's suit or his tie? But how often will they comment on how a woman's dress looked, the color it was, how it fitted her or didn't? Um, and some of these things can, and, and even the way in which uh, women candidates are portrayed. And so it's important to bring this to light. Um, and we have already had uh, three um, workshops in Z Zambia, in Kenya, and in Senegal. We've uh, produced the uh, results of the uh, workshop in Zambia and the one in Kenya and Senegal will be coming up soon. Um, and so it's important to provide that information and it's important to have, uh, I should also mention also that what we, a major, major part of our communications and research initiative for our strategic um, activities is a data hub that we recently launched. Um, and currently it covers women leadership uh, in West Africa. There are 15 countries that we've identified um, and it looks at the judiciary component of leadership in those countries, uh, the executive and the legislative. Um, how many women do we have in, in the uh, legislature in these various countries or parliament in these various countries? And what are the gaps? Um, and so, this kind of information is important for journalists when they're writing stories. It will be available and it's, it's, it's the, the uh, hub, uh, which is on the EGS site is user-friendly, it's easy to access. The information, if I may say so myself, is fantastic. Um, and I too was just, floored by some of the information uh, that, uh, I, uh, that we uh, learned existed. Um, so we have, uh, to, to gather this information also, we used researchers from across the continent 
uh, in these areas. Uh, and um, it provides also the opportunity for academics to go to the site to get reliable uh, data, um, students, researchers, journalists, uh, even government officials, uh, so that they too can see what where there are gaps, information where there are gaps in their in their uh, uh, governing. Uh, so, um, and the third one, ah, the third <laughs> pillar, <laughs> the third pillar is our. Um, we will be building a campus, uh, a center. The Ellen Johnson Sirleaf Presidential Center for Women and Development, a campus that will be a convening space, one that will have um, Madam's archives, um, that will have memorabilia, that will serve as a place where Madam's, uh, and I keep saying Madam, I should say President Sirleaf. President Sirleaf's uh, uh, documents can be safely um, uh, available and accessible to the public uh, in digital form, and in some cases in its uh, true form. It will be a convening space for women across Africa to network, to interact with each other, it will be a safe space for training. It will be a space in which librarians feel ownership for and our immediate neighbors. So this campus will contain President Sirleaf Library. It will contain a conference center and also an exhibition uh, facility, both exhibition and for temporary. That's just amazing. And I was just thinking about how um, the legacy is, is, has been secured. Um, I think a lot of us really respect um, and, and are inspired by President Sirleaf's uh, career. And, you know, the more that I really look at her path and the fact that she was so multifaceted, you've talked a lot about women in, in, in leadership from a public sector perspective, but I think very few of us um, realize how she was able to not only excel in the public sector, but also in the private sector. Um, and, and I think that space that you're creating at the university and, and really just having her archive and, 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 and you mentioned earlier, having, you're, you're creating a space for the leaders who are coming up right? Mm -hmm. Creating a space yes. for them to learn and grow, keep each other accountable. But you also kind of noted that it, it, sometimes it's hard and sometimes women just need that support. They just need that boost. They're in the space. They've earned their right to be in a space, but sometimes it's difficult because of those biases that you talked about that we see um, raising up in the media. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and uh, you refer to it as a university, uh, but this is, who knows, who knows? <laughs> it may develop into a university, well, but it should this be. is a physical, <laughs> a physical space uh, for, for the center. So, you know, you talked about um, data 
and, mm -hmm. and, and women from a media perspective. And then you also touched on representation in the legislature and judiciary. And mm -hmm. I think Liberia is such a unique country because you've, oh my gosh, talk about resilience, right? You've gone from a war, post-war environment. You had the war on Ebola. And just when you think things are calming down, here comes the, the COVID oh, pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think as policymakers work on the post-pandemic recovery. Um, what do you think about why, why is gender disaggregated data important? You mentioned that data gives you truthful insight. So uh, can you speak on the, the COVID aspect and, and post-pandemic recovery, just based on your view? Okay. I, I would start off by saying um, people should take a look at those countries that are governed by women, led by women, and see how they handled the COVID pandemic and get a good sense of what the results were, are in those countries led by women. It's important because women do things, deal with crises in a different way than men tend to do. And I think it has a lot to do with what has been termed as women's work. Family, making sure people stay healthy, making sure that people remain together, making sure that there's a cohesive um, way in which things are done. Because no matter how we like to look at the way we live, there is an interconnectedness in our activities and in our interactions. And After week, you've given me goosebumps. That is just so powerful. <laughs> that is so powerful what you've said. Yes. And so it's important for those naysayers to have truthful, to have data that are that is reliable. We need to fill the information, information gaps that exist. We need to be, for, it, for us to prove points in our argument, we need to have the facts. For us to make decisions, those decisions have to be factually based. And so when we look at you, you mentioned about moving forward post-pandemic. So if we look at the truthful information, if we gather that in the information, we'll be able to better plan for the future. We'll be able to harness and utilize that information. The data, data is powerful. Data in and of itself requires that we have a good understanding of the data. It requires that we're able to properly process that data and information, analyze it, and most importantly, we have to be able to properly communicate it. And so to be able to in a real sense, plan for the next possible pandemic. We have to learn from this 
pandemic that we're in a sense currently still uh, in the midst of. Data is power and, and, and you're so right. I think a lot of people are so quick to say the pandemic is over, let's just move on and, and forget about what happened in the past two years. But, but there is so much data, so much information that we have gotten in the past two years from this pandemic that will inform the next century. Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and those who will leverage it correctly will be the winners, I feel. Yes. Um, yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you, you serve on the board of Guaranteed Trust Bank in Liberia. And, and, and we're really talking about the role of women on the continent and really what that role of women in the financial sector really can, can do um, to be meaningful uh, for economic, sustainable economic development. Um, what do you see uh, from your, your role as a, a director at Guarantee Trust Bank? What do you see is the role of governance in Africa's financial sector? You talked about earlier the importance of representation from a judiciary and legislative perspective. So let's look at governance institutionally in the financial sector. As regulators enhance their supervisory um, capacity, um, in your view, what, what are those compliance areas, the governance areas that institutions, bank boards, um, investment bank boards, insurance company boards, what should they be looking at and focusing on? Well, that's a that's a a loaded loaded question. <laughs> We're not asking for the board papers. We just want just generally high level, high level. <laughs> well, um, I think for anybody to properly govern, govern, uh, you have to know who you're governing, right? You have to know your 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 customer. What's right. that? What's that term? Yes, KYC. KYC. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I, I want to insert also a P. I mm. want to insert know your potential customer yes. also. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to say KYPC because, you know, if you don't, then you could be missing a major, major uh, customer base. Um, and if we look, let's look specifically at Africa. You know, I think we underestimate the value and the importance of the informal business sector of our countries. Yeah, and, I agree. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think, and, and not I think, but the majority of that potential customer base, they're women, majority. So we need to probably uh, spend a little bit more time looking at how we can formalize that informal segment. And that's an enormous amount of wealth that's not being tapped. So that's something that, you know, that we haven't yet uh, really addressed. But, you know, there's also the anti-money uh, uh, laundering component which is not necessarily women specific. Mm -hmm. But I think that we need to also look at digital finance. We need to look at mobile money monitoring. I mentioned, uh, you know, many times we just look at who our current customer base is and we don't put enough effort 
into exploring those that are not part of the uh, status quo. But I think that if we look at, again, that informal sector of trade across Africa, we need to look at also how that space uses mobile, mobile money and how the banks need to pay a lot more attention uh, to how that can be readily incorporated into the activities of banking. Um, a general component that is also is something that we should also uh, pay attention to is transparency in bank financing reporting. Again, this is not necessarily women specific, but this is something that is, as far as our continent is concerned, that uh, we need to spend a little bit more time and effort uh, doing. I mean, as a board member, we are mandated to uh, provide strategic advice to, uh, to, our, our, to our bank uh, to make sure that there's uh, proper oversight and to ensure the bank is profitable. And that major, you know, there are other things I can talk about, uh, but the major component that I think could make a, a huge difference is looking at the potential customer base in the informal trade sector that's um, populated largely by women. I think I think you're totally right, and and I think that's just coming to the Angaza Awards. Um, I I can see the correlation between the work that you're talking about and the things that Guarantee Trust Bank, for example, through the board is really looking at. And um, I think what's really special about Angaza Awards is it it recognizes those emerging women leaders. The um, uh, you say the the coming up. How you say Amuje? Amuje. 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 Amuje, yeah. So, so those women who are we're coming going up, up, they're yeah. going up. We're going we are up. going up. Right. We are so going up. We are going up. Yeah. It's not just yes. you by yourself. You need to pull us no. up as well. <laughs> yes, we because you see, up. we each we we, we what we'd like to do is create a pipeline of women leaders. We don't want anybody to say, "Oh, this position is available, but we can't find the right woman to fill it." Okay, we need a pipeline of women that will, you know, when the need arises, there's that woman or women that are available to fill that need. We need women who will not only rise to the top, but bring other women along. This is it, this is it. We are going up. So okay. what about the, we, the Amuje in the financial sector, what role do you think women in finance can play, especially from a sustainable economic development perspective? You talked about we need to take stock of those countries that were led by women and how they created resilience in the pandemic era. Um, what about women in finance? Um, what more can be done to spotlight these women who are pulling up their institutions, what role do you think women even play um, from a financial sector perspective in the economy? We, we need to also uh, invest in uh, what can be termed as cultural shifts. Mm. Um, we need to add financial literacy mm. to those things that we say 
are things that every woman should know. If you look at the things that every woman should know, you will not see financial literacy amongst them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So women who are uh, financial professionals, we need to make shifts in how we do business in the kinds of areas that we invest in. We need to create environments that will include women in those financial workshops or steer them in the direction of finance because it's not the kinds of things that culturally we do. We steer men there, we don't steer women there. So as the Angaza women move up, they need to critically look at the environment in which they're in and see what kinds, how that environment is, is or is not biased against women being a part of the decision-making and create spaces that allow women to be there. Because when more women are there making the decisions, it will also be decisions that take into consideration the things that quote unquote, are women's, women's work. things. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yes. But what people fail to realize is women's work is the community's work and the community's benefit. You can't go to work and crunch numbers if you have an empty stomach. But, you know, cooking and providing food, that's the women's work, right? Right. We need to uh, redefine what women's work is. <laughs> <laughs> because because you you really succinctly defined it you know it's about health and wellness it's about togetherness cohesion interconnectedness that's women's work not the kitchen yes. aspect i think yeah, yes yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly so so but you know you talk a lot about women but i also know that ejs center has a campaign dubbed have her back and uh, it sounds, tell us about the Have Her Back and, and why, why what, what motivated it? Well, you know, um, I'll just say something personally first, and this has nothing to do with EJS. Okay. I, 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 I grew up with six brothers. Oh, wow. And, okay. And, and, Your um, mom was a strong woman, let me tell you. <laughs> My sister and, has two sons and, and let me tell you, oh my God. Okay, I can imagine your household. <laughs> <laughs> well, six boys, um, wow. Six boys, yes. And, and so uh, what I reflect on is how supportive my brothers have always been and how that uh, have also contributed to being a major motivator for me. Um, so what we need to do is we need to, and, and I can say that that's, that may not probably be the norm for a variety of, for a number of people. You know, there are limitations as to the things that women could or could not do. 
And while I talk about my brothers, I should also say that my parents were, I don't know how they, they learned this, but they felt that they grew, they raised up, raised us up to feel that a woman could do the same thing as a man and vice versa. Um, and so there was no demarcation in the chores that we did or the aspirations that we have. So let me stop because I could go on and on, but let me come back to the EJS Center. Right. Uh, we had the Have Her Back campaign. We believe that we need that collectively, we need to shift the perspective of men's roles in advancing gender equality. And in advancing gender equality, we advance equity. And this needs to take place across the continent. We talk about wanting equity and equality. And the world has males, the world has females. In our continent, there are just as many women, probably even more than there are men. You can change, try to change people's perspective with one half of the population. That other half of the population has to be supportive in changes that need to take place. And so what we, this initiative, this campaign is, is to identify men in power who feel strongly about advancing women. And that will serve as a, a role model to other men growing up and boys that yes, men do support women to be partners in just about everything that we do. Well, that's so powerful. I, I, I love that because you're right. I think especially in the financial sector, right? It is male dominated. So women, um, as much as we're coming up, right? Uh, we still need our brothers in the work environment um, to support and recognize with the data in mind, um, the fact that the playing field, right? Uh, you know, really right now is not level. Um, and there's some support there that needs to be done. Let me just tell you something about an image that I saw. Mm. Uh, and I think it, 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 it provides a good sense of equality and equity. Mm -hmm. So you've got a person that is six feet tall and you've got a person that's five feet tall. That's me. And they're both, <laughs> <laughs> and they're both uh, trying to look over a fence. Equity is providing that person who's five feet tall with a platform to stand on that is a little bit higher than that six foot person. And that differential provides the opportunity for both of them to be able to see over the fence. If you gave both of them 
the same size of box or platform to stand on, that six foot person will still will be able to see over the fence and that five foot person will not. Yeah, absolutely. It's this idea of removing the barriers totally versus exactly. adjusting the environment, um, which is, 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 is in, indeed, it's something that we constantly always need to think about. And because of that also, sometimes for there to be equity, for there to be equality, sometimes you have to do a little bit more or a lot more on one side to make it happen. Well, let me just stop here. <laughs> stop <laughs> we can see the passion. We can see the passion, Dr. Weeks. Um, <laughs> it's palatable, but gosh, you've covered so much ground. And, and we started the conversation really just understanding, understanding and learning uh, what the EJS Center is doing in terms of just creating that space uh, for the women who are on the way up and really just spotlighting data and why data gives us those truthful insights that help us make better decisions. Um, you, you've created a term I haven't heard before, KYPC, know your potential customer, right? So really understanding that role, and I love it, understanding that role of the informal sector as potential customers and why I think what you really told us about is why women in the financial sector especially need to think about the, the P, KYPC, because we are about connectedness. We are about um, bringing people together and lifting them up, health and wellness. So how can we do that from a financial sector perspective? And then finally, you talked about the role of men, right? You can't have half the population cheering um, and lifting up in, in, in the public sector, in the private sector. We need everybody pulling together. So exactly. I don't know, are there any final thoughts as we wrap up that you might want to share? I, I just want to say that, you know, um, this center, I am so happy that Madam conceived the idea of creating this center. You know, we, across the continent, I think there are uh, two, currently two presidential centers, Obasanjo in Nigeria and uh, uh, Nelson Mandela. Mm. And the EJS uh, Presidential Center for Women in Development will be the first of its kind. Not only first, will we- By a woman be, president, right? By a woman president, yes. 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 The first democratically, like, and this is, this is something that we should, I think, rally behind, um, yes. support, uh, be a part of. Uh, and so we hope that we're working towards making sure that this physical space um, comes into being because the uh, legacy, the life of Madam, and she's, uh, people don't, may not realize this, she is a very humble person. She doesn't like too much fanfare, um, you know, and, and the fact that she, after serving in these two terms, she could have just rested on her laurels. Mm -hmm. but she continues to work. You're right. I think the center, more people need to know about it because like you say, it's the third presidential, presidential center of its kind on the continent. It's the first by a female president. Um, and indeed it is that beacon. It's the lighthouse uh, for women on the continent, I feel, whether in public sector or private sector. I think there's a lot we can learn and share. And as we, as we come up, as we are Muje, um, so thank you so much again for um, your time. Sorry. 
No, I, I, I wanted to say it's not only the first on the continent, but it's, if I'm not mistaken, it would be the first globally. globally. Fantastic. I want to plug in our website, which is www.ejscenter.org www.ejscenter.org for Ellen Johnson Surly. Fantastic. So thank you again for supporting the Angaza Awards. We are so excited and looking forward to celebrating the awardees in the 2022 ceremony. My name is Nuru Mugambi. I'm the chairperson of Angaza Awards and it has, Dr. Weeks, it's just been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to host this discussion. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for your time. Until next time. Thank you.